What is up, movie friends? Welcome back to Raiders of the Lost Podcast. I'm Anthony. And I'm James, and this is episode 51. We are going to finish up The Mandalorian and do season two right now. We did season one last week on Monday, and I just got to say, season one of this show really took me by surprise, and I thoroughly enjoyed it, even though I was a bit stubborn to getting around to it. I think when we found out so much Star Wars content was going to be coming our way, I was like, I mean, I love Star Wars, but do I really want to watch like seven new TV shows? And we finally got into the show from a lot of fans telling us to and asking us to. And after season two, just two two episodes in, I am a diehard fan now. The show is exceptional. Um, Season two raised the stakes in each episode, increased production value in every way. The cinematography is phenomenal. The music is sensational from Ludwig Gorenson again. Uh, it really gave us incredible and fun stories with these characters who we now love and want to keep watching grow. A hundred percent. And the first season was excellent and it was very enjoyable. But uh, in the second season, they really upped the ante and improved on the first season in, in every way possible. And uh, there are a few moments in the first season, a few episodes that you can point out as being weaker or not as strong. But in the second season, they are firing on all cylinders. Every episode is great. Every uh, every plot is great. Every character is fantastic. The action is incredible. Uh, the special effects, it, it felt like I was watching a big-budget movie every episode. It's unbelievable what they were able to do with the the CGI and, and visual effects in this in this series. And uh, I overall enjoyed the the larger scope of the, of the story in Season 2, where Mando and his exploits... Uh, are beginning to have an effect on the overall story arc of the greater good and survival of the the, the galaxy. As you just said, like there were some things in season one that I wasn't a huge fan of. I think there were two episodes in particular that like I just really didn't like at all. Season six, episode six specifically, chapter the six, the prisoner that which starred uh, Bill Burr coming in. I did not like that episode at all. I mean, I could have done without it. There were some other parts in other episodes too, but. I mean, Bill Burr comes back in this season two, in season two, and he's phenomenal in it. And every every episode, the story is great, the characters are great. We're getting a lot of new characters who are new to people who who are unfamiliar with the lore, but like a lot of characters in in like the the Star Wars Rebels TV shows and the comic books and the novels, like the Marshal in the first episode, he's from the sta- the Star Wars lore. So mm. we're starting to get opened up to the the entire universe of Star Wars outside of just the movies. Yeah, and. Characters like Bo-Katan, Ahsoka, Boba Fett, uh, they they finally made their appearances in this season, and I think they all might eventually get their own spinoff shows. But they had great introductions in this season, and uh, I, I love their story threads when they inter intertwined with uh, Mando himself, and then the returning cast in Cara Dune and seeing grief again, and then getting Mayfield, Bill Burr back again was a lot of fun. And also, uh, this film, I mean. <laughs> This new season offered up a bunch of new monsters and creatures in terms of like the crate dragon in the first episode, the spiders in 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 um, the second episode, like that giant spider and all the spiders going after them, um, that octopus type monster that was in that boat, um, and then uh, I, w- I w- they're not monsters but those dark trooper droids. They're like kind of like a monster if you think about it in that way uh, of this incredible villain and. I think they just upped the ante with the the creatures and villains in this season. Yeah, I think they wanted to, the first two episodes, bring back what the first season felt like with just some fun, some some adventures that don't really have a ton to do with the entire plot of the season. But like the first episode, it's like that classic, classic Western of 
a town being plagued by like an unstoppable enemy and then we have like the big monster of the week with the spider episode in season two and i think what i like to get uh, for the rest of the season is they really dove into the larger story arcs of of uh din and the child which we eventually learn his name is grogu in uh the jedi episode with uh ahsoka and then also we're dabbling into there's still like this larger theme and this larger mystery of this story that we don't know a ton about and how it's all really truly related to the child how it's all related to grogu and Obviously, the experimentation that we saw in the first season, then and then we learn more about Moff Gideon and his plans to to study the blood. And I know you have a really cool theory about what he wants to do with the blood. Of yeah, so, Grogu. So my theory about Moff Gideon's ultimate plan is, uh, we're just gonna fast forward to the end. We'll go over each episode after this little introduction. But uh, Moff Gideon says that uh, the blood in the child can be used to bring order back to the galaxy, and I think Moff Gideon is hinting at. Uh, maybe uh, giving the putting the blood into himself to make himself force sensitive because he's a great villain right now, but he doesn't have any force powers, so he he has no way to ever compete against an actual Jedi in battle. I think, and so I think he's searching for a way to give himself force powers, and so maybe in the, in the next season or the season afterwards, he will probably be a powerful force sensitive figure. Because again, we're talking about the stories take place after Return of the Jedi, about five years afterwards, the fall of the Empire, the fall of the Jedi. And of course, there are stories out there, and obviously the stories of, of real Jedi have some survived. Of, of course, we find out that. But also, the stories of the Darth Siths and those Dark Lords and Darth Vader with the Empire side, because we also get new perspectives from the empirical point of view of these stories and these characters. And obviously, Moff Gideon, I'm sure he wants to possess the powers that he's heard about or that he's he's heard stories of Darth Vader or or the Palpatines I'm, and I'm sure I'm I think it's a really cool theory who knows if you'll be right I'm not sure but still I'm trying to insinuate that there's this large theme and this large mystery that we still don't really know about so far we in this series we finally see two Jedis we see Ahsoka and then we see Luke Skywalker obviously spoiler yes. <laughs> spoilers <laughs> so it was great we finally saw Jedis in the series which also begs the question we didn't see a Sith Lord or or a, a person who's with the dark side so I think they're gonna show us a character like that in the future and I think that Moff is a possibility for that and then we got introduced to spinoffs, obviously, which we'll talk about later. Obviously, Boba Fett, the book of Boba Fett, that's how the, the season ends with the end credit scene. And then we're obviously going to probably get an Ahsoka show, possibly a Cara Dune show. I mean, I'm sure uh, grief will be all over the place in each of these TV shows. It'll be cool to see. I think all these characters will be bouncing around shows with each other because they're all going into production at the same time. The Boba Fett and Mandalorian show are both premiering, I think, in the same month in December 2021 right now. Although I know Mando, it could possibly get pushed back a couple of months. But I, I can see all these characters kind of going back and forth in their in their own TV shows with the other characters, kind of like what I'm sure we'll see a little bit of with the, with the uh, Marvel TV shows. What I also think is going to happen is that uh, when all the shows come out, so Bubba Fett's obviously going to get his own show, and then I think Ahsoka might get her own show. She's it's pretty cool. She's character. an amazing character, and I would love, I would love, I would absolutely sign up to watch a series because I've always her. known about her, but I don't know much about her in the lore. Yeah, and uh, I think that, uh, and then the Obi Wan show, obviously, but I think that uh, in a couple of years, maybe uh, three or four years, there will be an event type situation, and all of the characters in their series will diverge like Avengers. Endgame or Infinity War where all the series intersect and all the characters have to work together 
to defeat some kind of uh, evil forces. And I think that it'll eventually lead to a team up type uh, series where it might be a mini series of like maybe six or eight episodes where they're all working together. That would be really cool, and I can definitely see that happening. And that's an awesome. I didn't even think of that. That's a really yeah. good idea. Look at this guy. It's Disney. Look at the big brain on Brad. <laughs> <laughs> it's Disney. It's what they do. Yeah. So I mean, that's smart to get them all ready to go. And I'm sure we'll, they'll do the same thing with Marvel. And I'm sure I wouldn't be surprised if there's like a a new Avengers type show that they'll do with all that. Yeah. Down the line, we're talking about like five years from now, but I, I think that's definitely a possibility. And then ultimately, so uh, in this series, Mando's arc basically uh, trimmed down is that he is trying to bring the child to a Jedi in order to uh, give the child a chance to train and be raised by someone who understands him and his abilities. So that's his uh, that's his driving force throughout this series, throughout this season of the series. Yeah, and so basically it starts with them trying to find Mandalorians, which will help point him in the direction of a Jedi. And obviously this leads to a bunch of fun adventures, a bunch mm-hmm. of betrayals, some really cool, interesting characters we haven't seen before, and a ton of fun. As always, spoilers are abound, which you've already spoiled a bunch of this show, so because <laughs> of the crazy <laughs> ending. But let's get to Chapter 9, Episode 1 from Season 2, The Marshal. In this episode, Mando is searching for other Mandalorians. He learns that a mysterious Mandalorian resides in Mos Pelgo. Mos is an old mining settlement that was wiped out by bandits after the Empire pulled out. And so basically, we're starting our journey with Mando and the child inside the... The Razor Crest just cruising around the galaxy. Yeah, and it's a terrific opening episode for the new season because uh, the episode basically is its own self-contained story in which uh, basically Mando has to help uh, a town destroy a monster. And uh, these are things that we love to see in this series. They don't always have to be uh, pertaining to the overall story. I mean, yes, he's doing the mission to to help him in his goal, but I love the self-contained episodes that aren't that are kind of irrelevant to the overall arc. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, because they're a lot of fun, they're, it's a little more escapist because uh, the stakes are different. You're in a, you're in a, basically like it's a, you're in a new world and new characters. And I, I love the freshness that they set up with these kinds of episodes. Again, this show, like I said it last episode when we talked about season one, it's like a video game. There's so many fun little side stories, side characters, side missions. You get upgrades, you you meet new friends, have new allies, and it just plays out like a video game storyline. And I just love that aspect of it too. And I know some people don't like that every episode isn't completely connected to the entire plot of the season, but I don't give a F. This episode of Raiders of the Lost Podcast is brought to you by Manscaped. Get 20% off your order and free shipping using coupon code 
Raiders of the Lost at checkout. Again, Raiders of the Lost at checkout for 20% off and free shipping. Fellas, we all got to groom. It's a part of life. And you know you want to show your significant other some appreciation by taking care of all that exponential lockdown growth. Manscaped's lawnmower has a built-in flashlight. It's waterproof, so you can take that thing for a spin in the shower. Ladies, if your man needs a hint at those nose hairs and Ear hairs, get them the weed whacker is a subtle suggestion that, you know, you got to trim up this the, your head. It's a mess. Being, being nice about it. Manscaped has also sent us pretty much everything they sell. Their their briefs, their t-shirts, their colognes, their deodorizers, their, their creams. Everything is phenomenal. I wear the briefs all the time. They're so comfortable. The t-shirts are super comfortable. Um, use coupon code, again, Raiders of the Lost at checkout for 20% off your entire order and free shipping year-round. Insane deal. This episode starts in a really great way because it's not too bombastic or big. It's just very subtle and, and simple. It's just Mando uh, walking through this rundown neighborhood. It's very dark and there's graffiti all over the place. And it, it's a it's kind of an environment we've never seen in any kind of Star Wars before. It felt like this like ghetto, uh, dangerous neighborhood. And uh, usually uh, things in, in the Star Wars universe have never looked like that. And so I, I like the derelict, um, dangerous quality of this environment. Yeah, it kind of reminded me of Blade Runner too. You know, the graffiti on the wall. There's these these dark creatures whose you can only see their red eyes in the shadows. They and must like, be some kind of wolf. We're entering this like underground fighting arena and this underground boxing club or fight club. We're not supposed to talk about it. So <laughs> it's a really cool new environment as opposed to the constant like desert wastelands we've been seeing with these other desert planets. Exactly. And and then, um, uh, so Mando meets up with a gangster named Gore Koresh, who's played by John Leguizamo. His name, his voice was so familiar. I'm like, who is this you actor? Called, you called it within like 30 yeah, seconds. Yeah, it was like, because he, he changed his accent. Uh, he sounded, uh, he spoke very differently, but I was like, I know this voice. And he's he's really good for the, like a small amount of screen time he has. And um, although they're set up with a meeting to get information from Gore, uh, Gore betrays Mando and a, a group of his men attack Mando to try and steal his Beskar armor, which is something that's going to happen a lot because the armor is so valuable. And um, it, it's a great fight scene, great way to open open the season. And like he always does, Mando, even against all odds, with the odds against him, he manages to uh, overpower the assailants and, and take control of the situation. And then he gets the information he wants out of the guy with like an upside-down interrogation technique that like we saw in like Batman Begins kind of thing. <laughs> Where were the drugs going? Where were they? Swear to me! <laughs> Do I look like a cop? Do I look like a cop? <laughs> And then um, he, he makes a great promise where he's like, you won't die by my hands. But once he gets the information, he cuts him or he leaves him there for all those dark guys and he shoots the shoots light out. Light off, yeah. And so these these creatures in the shadows come and obviously tear that guy apart. <laughs> That's a great opening. My voice hurts now. <laughs> Gore gave Mando information to go to Tatooine because there was a Mandalorian spotted there. And so he uh, Mando returns to Tatooine is reunited with uh, Peli, who is going to work on his ship again. And he takes a speeder um, into this uh, town in Mos Pelgo, um, where he's going to look for this uh, unknown, mysterious Mandalorian. And so Mel's Pelgo is an old mining settlement that was wiped out by bandits after the Empire pulled out. And this is a great scene because they filmed it with this beautiful vignette on the corners of the screen. And again, this episode, they're trying to match the first episode, I think, of season one, creating this like Western vibe. and this Very cinematic. This Western storyline. And while in Mos Pelgo, uh, Mando uh, enters in Cantina. And like you said last episode, uh, people always intersect in Cantinas. Uh, he ends up uh, running into the town's Marshal Cobb Vanth, who's wearing Mandalorian armor. 
And at first, Mando thinks he is also a Mandalorian, but once Cobb takes his helmet off, he uh, uh, recognizes that he's definitely not Mandalorian, orders him to take the armor off because he doesn't deserve to be wearing this armor. And the cool thing about this character, Timothy Oliphant, it reminds me so much of like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because the Marshal, obviously played by him, he plays a very similar cowboy-esque character in the movie, the Tarantino movie, where he runs scenes with Rick Dalton, Leonardo DiCaprio's character on the fake TV set. But even more famously on Justified. Yeah, Justified and also Deadwood. So he plays a lot of these Western characters perfectly. He just has this natural drawl. Cowboy drawl, like like outlaw, like good guy. So, But he's also a brave person, clearly, because he takes no hesitation in about to enter a duel with Mando for the armor because the armor is the only thing that this marshal has that helps protect him helps him protect the townspeople. But fortunately for his benefit, because he obviously would have been gunned down by Mando in a second because he's, he's a straight beast, um, the town is suddenly overrun by an underground worm dragon. And this is a crate dragon. Uh, it's kind of, it kind of reminds me of uh, the, the worms in Dune. Well, that's where they got a lot of the ideas <laughs> yeah. for Star Wars. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then um, the crate the dragon has been attacking uh, livestock in, in the neighboring towns, and it's become a real problem, and also sometimes it kills um, innocent bystanders. And so being the marshal, Cobb doesn't really have any way of destroying this thing, and he needs help. And so um, after they put their arms down, he asks Mando, uh, Mando for help, and in exchange, he'll return the Mandalorian armor. And uh, they, they agree to uh, meet up with uh, Tusken Raiders in order to try and form an alliance to take down this great dragon because the dragon is also um, plaguing uh, the Tusken Raiders as well, and they want it dead just as much as the people in the town do. Yeah, the, the townspeople and the sand people are forced to team up despite their past feuds. And again, this is a lot similar to like Seven Samurai or those those westerns where there's a town that has to uh, pair up or team up with enemies or, or rival people to defeat an even larger enemy in the desert. And yeah, the, the dragon obviously reminds us of those sandworms in Dune. But I think they did a good job of making it look different and seem more like reptilian or more yeah, dragon-like. I can see why they called it a dragon when you saw the image of I it. I think they also called it a dragon because Dune's coming out. Yeah, <laughs> they didn't want to call it a worm. But also the Dune worms are way bigger than this. Not that this thing isn't huge, but the Dune yeah. worms are massive. This episode of Raiders of the Lost Podcast is sponsored by MoviePosters.com. Use our coupon code RAIDERS15 to get 15% off your order today. Don't go to Amazon.com to get your posters. They're trash quality. Go to MoviePosters.com. <laughs> Jeff Bezos is listening to this. He's going to be like, are you kidding me? Guys, <laughs> this is my favorite podcast. <laughs> go to MoviePosters.com to get your posters online. They're high quality, super affordable. They can do framing, backlighting, glass, whatever you want, lamination. MoviePosters.com is the place to go. Use our coupon code RAIDERS15 to get 15% off your order at MoviePosters.com. Again, RAIDERS15 to get 15% off. The funny thing is the majority of the set was built from Amazon.com. <laughs> <laughs> and um, they, the Tusken Raiders, although they are uh, antagonistic towards the, the humans in the area, they agree to help uh, kill the dragon because it's in their favor as well. And then Mandalor- and then Mando um, volunteers the, the town of Mos Pelgo and the people who live there uh, to help out as well. Uh, and at first they are uh, very uh, against the idea of teaming up with these raiders who have been... Uh, pillaging their towns over the years and 
Um, but they, they understand that the only way for them all to survive is to work together to kill this dragon because eventually this dragon will kill all of them. And they make the deal that if the, if the Tusken Raiders help with the mission, uh, they will agree to never attack the town unless they are provoked first in exchange for the meat of the dragon. Yeah, and the skeleton and the, car the entire carcass. But something I really like about the scenes with t the Tusken Raiders with Mando and the Marshal while they're striking this deal in the desert is... We get like a new perspective of these sand people because they're always portrayed as like evil, vicious, mindless monsters. But we really yeah. get a, a true representation of like an indigenous people uh, with their own language, their own culture and reasons. We understand why they come off so hardened and so cruel and why people like and how people like that survive in this desert wasteland. It's just again, like if you're if you're familiar with the book series Dune. Um, the, the sand people in there, they've lived extremely, extremely hard lives in the desert. And that's why they have, they're such hardened individuals. And same thing with these sand people. We learn a different perspective of them. Exactly. That's a great point. And so the plan ultimately to kill this dragon is to, uh, lure it out of its pit. And it has, uh, taken over the, uh, Sarlacc pit in the middle of the desert. And, um, there's a funny line where the marshal, um, uh, it says there's no such thing as an empty Sarlacc pit, and then Mando says there is if you eat the Sarlacc. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, their plan is to lure out the, the the their plan is to lure out the dragon uh, with explosives buried under the ground beneath it, and to lure it out far enough where they can detonate the explosives underneath its belly to destroy it. And so um, everyone bands together and. They develop and then they set up a, a series of uh, positions and uh, plan an attack against the beast. Yeah, it's a really great action scene. There's a, a lot of moving pieces with the the people up front creating the distraction to try to draw the the dragon up further and further. But obviously, with a creature this large and massive, there is going to be some issues and the explosions don't work, and so they have to kind of recuperate. But we really get a cool sense of this dragon and how not just how big it is, but how interestingly it travels basically through the, the elements of of the earth's crust in in terms of it can just kind yeah. of swim not just through the sand but it can just swim through mountains and it stones like it yeah it's pretty incredible yeah and um even though it is gigantic in size it's very elusive and once it's under the earth you can't tell where it's traveling unless it's just on the crest of the earth itself and um the plan uh is pretty much the only way they can do it because it it's it reminds me of the those worm things in avengers one that they're flying through New York City where Kinda, they're, yeah. they're like fully armored except for the underneath in their bellies. And um, so this has a similar uh, uh, look to it. And so it's a great action scene because they draw out this giant dragon and they try to attack it and lure it out. And um, it's not working and this thing is just a, a monster. And um, when it they also do... has acid spit. Yeah, when they do bring it out far enough, it uh, retaliates against their gunfire and starts spraying acid like all over them. And... It went pretty intense for a Disney production. Like, they were really burning these people alive. I thought it looked, was fantastic. And I was expecting uh, fire breath, and I was uh, pleasantly surprised by this, like, liquid acid. Yeah. And, of course, Mando has to step up and save the day, and he basically 
he's gonna put his his body on the line and go inside this beast with all these explosives and then they just go buried underneath the ground again but eventually they come popping up and the beast explodes and mando comes flying out after he stuns it and it blows up the entire dragon and it's a pretty great climax to an an awesome battle for a first yeah. episode of season one of season two yeah when he lands there and, he's, and then the, the mando theme starts playing i was like oh yeah season two let's go this is <laughs> this is fucking great and um, it's just it's a great episode, and uh, it's it, it is great because John Favreau actually directed this one. It's his first job, first time directing an episode in the series, and, and as promised, uh, uh, for his help, uh, Cobb uh, gives the armor up to Mando, and uh, they leave on friendly terms. Anyone who obviously knows Star Wars in the original trilogy, this armor is really specific because it's clearly Boba Fett's armor. If you know anything about Boba Fett in the original trilogy or maybe the other lore, it's clearly his armor. So it's we're super curious to see when he's going to come into play in the season. And it has a very interesting ending too. Yeah, and then at the end, uh, we get this great shot of Boba Fett not wearing a mask or anything. He's got a heavily scarred face and he watches from afar. And it's great tease for the end of the episode. And this is uh, Tamar Morrison who took on the role of Boba Fett in Attack of the Clones. So he's back and Boba Fett is actually technically a clone of his father. So he has the exact same look as his father, Jango Fett. Exactly. All in all, it's a great opening for the season. Uh, a fantastic job all around. And uh, I, I just thoroughly enjoyed this episode. It's one of my favorites. Next up, we have Chapter 10, The Passenger. And this episode in particular is, I think, one of the funniest of all of the episodes uh, we get a lot of humor with the child uh, in terms of like playing with the eggs and trying to eat them all. Oh, the, ma- the banter, the banter between Mando trying to get him, a- get him away from the eggs, just cracked me up the whole time. And uh, and it has a lot of horror in terms of the monster in this episode. So I think this is a great follow up to the first one. And one of my favorite parts of this episode is the the beginning scene where we have this again very western vibe and storyline of a, a great action scene of a potential hijacking in the des- in the desert while mando and the child are traveling on that racer and they get hijacked and awesome fight ensues where mando just messes all these dudes up but then there's a, a great standoff and a hilarious ending where he trades his jetpack for the safety of the child but then remotely launches the jetpack into the air and the alien just comes flopping and crashing <laughs> down and it, it was the funniest moment i think of both seasons it was so funny i loved absolutely it absolutely hysterical yeah and then since the the speeder bike is destroyed mando, mando has to walk back to Moss esley carrying everything over his shoulders he's doing like a kill bill trading carrying the buckets <laughs> <laughs> and then he finds uh pelly playing cards with dr mandible who uh, who has information about the Mandalorians? And I love I love Doctor Mandalore because he's a giant ant. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> an ant. And there's a great shot where Mando's looking at the ant. And production design on this show is so good, and you can see like orange reflection of his eyes on his helmet. Yeah. So I mean, like little details like that make me get so excited about about this show. And I love how Pelly seems to like know every language imaginable. She knows a lot of stuff. She's talking ant. And so she knows, inf- or the, the the ant person guy, he knows information about another Mandalorian. Uh, but there's a catch; he needs to ferry this frog woman and her unfertilized eggs to her own home planet, hence the passenger. And there's also another catch where Mando can't travel at the light at light speed. He can't tri- travel in hyperspace because it would damage the eggs. And this is a, a problem because. Uh, traveling in hyperspace, traveling at light speed has been uh, the only reason why Mando has survived so long because he's able to elude authorities and and anyone 
by going so quickly and to not be able to go this fast uh, traveling across the galaxy. It's very dangerous because there are patrols all over the galaxy uh, seeking out uh, enemy vessels and, and criminal vessels. So it's a very risky proposition, but he pretty much has no choice because it's part of the deal, so he accepts it. And so he takes the frog lady and her eggs and, and the child, and we have these hysterical scenes of the child just sneaking bites and, and gulps of entire eggs throughout the episode. And it's the it's the funniest and most cringiest moment every yeah. time he does it. Because sh- you're just like, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. <laughs> the shot of uh, when he's looking, the, the, it's a POV inside of the jar. And then his face is on the outside all warped. And he's just like looking at them all. He's so cute. You can't help but like love him. But like, you're like, no, don't eat them. <laughs> and he just like plops them in his mouth. <laughs> and so while they're traveling to her home planet, uh, they get basically uh, come uh, they the appearance of X-wing New Republic fighter pilots come up behind them, basically like space cops in this New Republic era and territory, and they're flagging down Mano Mando for information of who he is, basically for I don't, what is it, like a busted headlight, who knows? And <laughs> he's like, yeah, tail light out, and um, Mando doesn't want to give up the information of who he is and who's on his ship, and so. He ends up running from the X-Wing fighters, and we have this amazing chase of the X-Wing fighters chasing Mando, and we finally really get to see a glimpse at Mando's expert pilot skills, and he's a really phenomenal flyer, and he pulls off some great great moves. And This is a chase that could be in a movie. It's so good, so well made, and the CGI looks absolutely phenomenal. I was blown away by this chase scene. And they get away uh, by hiding out underneath... This ice cavern after this like sick 180 spin power down move that he does on the ice, uh, and you think they're gonna get away, but unfortunately they fall through the cracks and the, they crack through the ice and fall into this ice cavern cave uh, underneath the the crust of this planet, and so uh, they're kind of stuck and the ship needs to be repaired so they can't go right now. And so while Mando is repairing the ship, uh, the frog lady is uh, hanging out in a cave nearby in a hot pool. Uh, bathing with her eggs jacuzzi dip time jacuzzi time this is what i would do if i was stuck in an ice cave (laughs) and and the child is just like watching like he wants the egg so badly (laughs) mando has to like get him away and then um when he when he uh tells uh the child to get away from the pool uh, the child explores the cave and he finds that there are like a ton of eggs all over the place like alien style frozen eggs it reminds me of prometheus and also this scene reminds me of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Yeah. Uh, obviously with Aragon uh, and with Aragorg. Uh, follow the spiders. What could it be? Follow, follow the butterflies. butterflies. And uh, so obviously the child being as curious and inquisitive and always hungry starts <laughs> paling into one of these clearly eggs and eats this baby spider. And then we get this wide shot of the entire cave and we see hundreds of these little eggs and they all start to begin hatching and... And they, they start hatching these little tiny spiders. And then Mando and the frog later are like, holy crap, what's going on? But then we get introduced to larger spiders. And then we finally get introduced to the big mama spider. And this thing is, it's not just a spider. It's like a spider mixed with like an alien squid with a terrifying mouth full of razor sharp teeth. And it's just a horrifying monster. Great creature design. And when this happens, you're like, oh, shit, get the hell out of there, guys. And they start running. <laughs> this this whole episode kind of reminds me also of The Empire Strikes Back uh, when Luke gets trapped in the ca- caves of the on planet Hoth. So I, oh, yeah. I think this whole episode kind of uh, recalls that, too. Mm-hmm. But um, we get another great chase in this episode where they're, they're running from all these spiders. Mando's shooting his gun as much as he can. And the frog later start, starts hopping. And, and they're trying to get back to the ship, which they eventually make it to. 
uh, but they barely get inside with without the, all the spiders chasing them. And the spiders start taking over the ship. They manage to make it into the to the front cockpit uh, with Mando using his fire and flamethrowers and the frog lady help blasting them so they can close the doors. Yeah, so they completely uh, over overtook the the whole of the ship, and it's and they it's like okay, at least they're in the cockpit. They're gonna get out of here. And then Mando turns the ship on, and just as he's about to take off. The giant spider jumps on top of the ship and crashes it into the ground. And it was just like, it was such a shocking moment. I was I was in awe. I was like, oh my God, how are they going to get out of this? I did not see that coming because I thought he took care of the giant spider uh, in the halls, in the cavern. like With the explosion. When, yeah, he yeah. threw a couple of grenades back there. It seemed like he trapped it in there. But obviously they had to come back and, and get it to stop them going up. But fortunately, they get rescued by the X-Wing fighters who were chased them down, uh, came by and just tore all these spiders up with their blasters and saved them. Yeah, and uh, once they're saved, uh, Mando goes out to talk to them, and um, they reveal that they looked up the, the uh, information of his history with, the sh- uh, with his ship and found out that uh, he is a wanted criminal, but then also found out that he uh, helped catch uh, three criminals back in Episode six. And also helped save the guard's life in that in that prison, in that prison ship. And so uh, these uh, X-wing fighter pilots are willing to look the other way in this situation. And then he, Mando asked them if they could go further and even help the, help him repair their ship. And this is where they're that's asking too much from them. So they're like, next time we could just blow your ship ship up. So uh, he was asking for a little too much. And yes, they do look the other way and give him a pass in this, but they're not going to like help him out. And so the the fighters the fighter pilots leave the cave and then now Mando has to somehow repair his ship and get the hell out of there. If you like our podcast and our content and want to help support us, the best thing you can do is share our podcast with your movie friends. We don't have any marketing, so we just have to go word of mouth. And so far, it's going well. I thought you said you were going to say we don't have any friends. <laughs> <laughs> Follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, you can find us. Hit the notification bell and follow. Subscribe to us on our YouTube channel and become a patron on patreon.com slash Raiders of Lost Podcast. There's a $2, $5, and $10 tier. Each patron gets a specific perk like a personalized message, personalized video, and top tier patrons get a monthly shout out on the podcast to be immortalized forever. So thank you so much for all the support, everybody. But he manages to do it and then they, they get back up into the sky and get back on their mission to to her home planet and i really like the feeling and the razor crest at the end of this episode it's really warm and these characters seem to have really bonded uh the frog lady the child and mando even though the the child still wants to keep eating her eggs which she's now holding dearly with her <laughs> along her uh, on her chest but uh it's really like a, a nice scene because even though you know you talk about actors one in a frog suit a puppet and then Pedro Pascal in a mask the entire time. <laughs> you, it's hard to create real emotion between these kinds of characters, but I think they managed yeah. to pull it off by by the time the episode ended. That's a great point. And then the last shot is the uh, is the child somehow sneaked another egg, which he gulps down. <laughs> 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 so funny. And this leads us to Chapter Eleven, the heiress, and this is a fantastic episode where we get to meet our first new major recurring character, uh, Bo-Katan, played by Katie Sackhoff, who play, who voiced the character in the Rebel animated series. And uh, she's fantastic. What is she on? Battlestar Galactica is what she's famous for. I'm not sure. I think I think one like a sci-fi TV show like that. And uh, she's really great. She She's a very good actor, and she's very personable. And she plays a, a great character in this. And I'm sure we're going to see a lot of her, maybe her, even her own spinoff show. And this, I think this episode is great in terms of it has great action uh, scenes. 
Uh, it has a fun mission. We learn a little bit more about Moff Gideon and the Empire and seeing how they're still very much under operation in secret. Yeah, after our Western monster adventure followed by a creepy spider escape monster episode, Mando and the Child are back. And this is a more plot-driven storyline for the entire season. Obviously, these new characters that you just talked about, Mando and his passengers, the Frog Lady and the Child, they land on the ocean moon of Trask where the Frog Lady, I keep calling her that, I don't know if that's, that's her, her name. That's yeah, her name, yeah. yeah. She has a cute reunion with her husband, the Frog Man. And, uh, <laughs> he's, frog, he's Frog, sir. Yeah, and so Mando, again, he's trying to find this Mandalorian that's on this planet, on this moon, and a restauranteur tells him, it tells an ever-trusting Mando that there are more of his kind that can be found just a short journey away by a boat. But it's obviously, the, the captain of a trawler, the captain of the ship tells him this. Yeah, but this is a trap. And uh, they obviously, like you said earlier, they want the best car, which is, again, this is going to be a recurring theme with Mando because he's just, this is, he's basically flaunting like a diamond studded jacket all the time <laughs> with his with this full uh, Mandalorian best car bounty suit, which yeah. is really badass. But uh, which we, I think they said in the first season that their original gangster alien, he said, uh, Baskar just keeps getting more and more valuable. Yeah. So this is going to be a recurring problem and theme. And they kick the baby, the child, into this pit with this like squid octopus monster, which swallows him up. And then Mandel starts getting messed up, and he tries to save the child, but he's saved by Bo-Katan and her crew of Mandalorians. Yeah, and their her teammates are Koska Reeves and Axe Wolves, and uh, they immediately uh, break the Mandalorian taboo by t- taking off their helmets, which makes uh, Mando distrust them, and um, she tries to explain to Mando that um, there are different Mandalorians now. There are people like him who are of, um, he's a child of the Watch, and they adhere to the ancient ways of the Mandalorians, and then there are people like her and her crew where they are also, they're Mandalorian heritage, but uh, they're not as much as zealots in the way that they are. They're more mainstream nowadays, and things have changed, and the, the the strict codes have become more relaxed now, and so they are they uh, allow themselves to take the helmets off. Yeah, it's a cool way to show like the variety of Mandalorians out there and how diverse their culture is. And I wouldn't be surprised if this maybe is a a, a little Easter egg that maybe later on Mando starts to take his helmet off more and more. And obviously, there's a an episode in this. There are two episodes after this where we see Mando's face for extended periods of time. So I wouldn't be surprised if, if he starts to take it off more and more even in season three. Oh, yeah. I, I can talk about that. Uh, there's a lot to talk about in terms of that when we get to the episode. But I think you're absolutely right. Mando leaves them even though they saved him because he doesn't want their help. Because he doesn't uh, accept them as Mandalorians. And then uh, after this, he's attacked by the brother and, and friends of the one of, of the captain of the ship who was killed and. They think that Mando killed his brother, and so they attack him. But once again, Bo-Katan's crew saves him and the child's life. And um, then they have a, a, a talk, and um, they, he learns that uh, Bo-Katan and her crew, they have been uh, raiding ships, uh, em- empirical ships, and stealing cargo and weapons from, from imperial, imperial forces. And um, they have a plan of uh, raiding a, a big ship next. And she, in return, she, off- she promises to give him the information regarding a Jedi that can help uh, train and raise the child for him. And so Mando agrees to help them on their next raid. And we have some of the best action of the series that ensues as this team infiltrates the ship, but Mando had been slightly misled where 
Bo-Katan told them that he just she just wanted the arms and all the weaponry after they take over the ship and kill all the stormtroopers. But then he learns uh, from Bo-Katan that she wants the entire ship once she gets communication with the front deck. Um, Moff Gideon, knowing how far they've reached on the ship, orders the commanding officer to suicidally crash the ship. And then Mandel displays some great bravery by putting his body on the line to kill the stormtroopers up ahead, guarding the flight deck with uh, some grenades. Uh, and and then, also, I love this scene because it's a, it's a moment where, uh, in the first season, they didn't really show too much how how um, indestructible the Beskar armor was. Yeah. But in this season, you get to see a lot of uh, gunfire really hit the Beskar armor and bounce off. And so I think it was really great how they showed that, especially in this moment. Yeah, we didn't really see it up to the extent. Um, and then they seize control of the aircraft. And so Bo-Katan's underlying mission here is that she wants to find Moff Gideon. Her goal is to find Moff Gideon because Moff Gideon uh, possesses the Dark Saber, which we saw at the end of season one. And the do- the Dark Saber is a weapon that uh, can only be earned, and the person who has who the person who was wielding it currently uh, has earned it um, by uh, defeating someone else in combat. And the Dark Saber used to belong to Bo-Katan, and she lost it, and uh, she needs it back because she's trying to uh, reunite uh, the people of Mandalore and become its new leader, and in order to do so, she needs the Dark Saber. And so that's her main goal um, in this season. And the episode ends where Mando goes back to his ship, and he leaves this this crew on their, their own journey, and he gets the Razor Crest after it's been refurbished poorly. <laughs> With rope. It's, it's so funny. <laughs> he's like, I paid a thousand credits for this. This is the best you can do. And he's like, sign my iPad. It's, I think the guy's name is Mon Calamari. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, we have the birth of the little frog baby that it, it feels like the child wants to eat it, but he's also like, oh, it's a little baby. <laughs> I think I mean, he wants to eat maybe it. Maybe I won't eat it, but I think yeah. he still does. Yeah. And then they have to continue their journey to find the Jedi. And at the end of the, at the, end of the episode, Bo-Katan is, uh, follows through on her agreement and she uh, directs Mando to travel to the city of Culloden on the forest of planet Corvus. And this is where he will find a Jedi called Ahsoka Tano. Chapter 12, The Siege. This episode opens hilariously with Baby Yoda, a.k.a. the child, trying to help... Um, Mando fixed his ship and we have this great scene where he's inside this like little tunnel on the ship and he's got the the red wire and the blue wire and Mando's trying to explain to him insert the red wire where the blue wire was and the blue wire where the red wire was yeah, but don't let them touch it's hysterical and, and obviously baby Yoda uh, touches them together and creates a, a short and <laughs> makes some smoke it's really funny and cute and um, since they're in such desperate need for repairs, Mando and the child head back to Navarro, which has changed a lot since it's now under new leadership of Marshal Cara Dune and Grief, their homies. And, you know, they've managed to turn this this town, which was once plagued with, like, um, criminals the, yeah. and, and the client's stormtroopers. And now, you know, they have a school and they have order and people are happy and it's, it's a safe town now. And a cool thing about this episode is Carl Weathers directed this episode. Yeah, this is and this is a really well-directed episode. The guy knows what he's doing. Obviously, he's been in so many great films. And I think it's great that they're, um, they got him to direct an episode. And the one before this was directed by, by Bryce Dallas Howard. So they have a lot of um, people of color and a lot of women directing their episodes and also starring in the lead roles of these shows. So it's uh, good on... Uh, Disney for getting a lot of inclusion in this show and I think this show is probably has set the, a new bar for inclusion and uh, this is a really great episode and it's got a lot of great action scenes and um, 
Cara Dune and Grief, they need uh, Mando's help. Uh, they want to uh, take over a... What do you call it? A cliffside base, basically. They want to. They want to take over a cliffside base. They think there's just like a, a good amount of troops. They're not too many, and yeah, they, they just they're wanna... just worried that they could bring a lot of trouble to the town. So they want to protect the town by destroying this base first. And they leave the child in the classroom, which is hysterical because he he steals the macaroons from the kid that's sitting <laughs> next to him. And those macaroons look delicious, yeah. by the way. I love when he's just like reaching his hands out, and the kid's like, "Leave me alone." He's just like, "Looks so cute," and then he just uses the force to steal them. <laughs> And also before this, we have a great scene of just Cara Dune where she, uh, now she's the marshal of the town, and she just destroys a bunch of criminals that are in yeah. the uh, Mandalorian um, armory. Under, armory in the tunnels under the under the city. And so, but it's it's really great to see these characters all reunited, and it's so fun, and so it's so genuine and heartfelt, and they're all happy to see each other. And grief is carrying the child like it's it's, it's his nephew, and he loves him. <laughs> and um, even Mithral is back, who was in the first episode. He's the original bounty that mando brings in you know who the actor who plays him is who is it horatio sands from snl no freaking way yeah horatio uh, sands that's right that's i was like the voice is so familiar who is yeah. this i had to look it up and um so, so uh with my thrill they they travel to this base and uh like uh they were right the birds the base is pretty much empty it's just like a skeleton crew of stormtroopers that patrol the corridors so uh the the team uh pretty easily deactivate the lava cooling system um, so that the lava will naturally flow up into the base and destroy it. Uh, and so uh, after they set it off, they uh, they escape. Um, but, but before they escape, they find this strange area where um, there are scientists and, and vats filled with water and uh, what appear to be clones, like bodies of clones. And um, the scientists attempt to destroy the evidence, but they stop them. And then Mithril uncovers... A video recording of Dr. Pershing, who was the doctor who was uh, working with the client in the first season. And Dr. Pershing in the video reveals that he had been transfusing the blood of the child, which they got, um, which has a, a high M count. I'm guessing is a metachlorian count. And in, in, they're putting this into, they were transfusing this blood into test subjects, which I think hints at again, Moff Gideon is trying to figure out a way to to successfully uh, transfuse the, the child's force-sensitive blood into himself. But that's just my theory. And then um, before they can investigate further, stormtroopers will show up and they have to fight these uh, troopers before the lava overheats and destroys the entire base. Everything you said was accurate except for when they show up, there are more stormtroopers than they expected. Yeah, true. Which, yeah, yeah, so, but everything you said was correct after that. Mm -hmm. um, so you got like a 95 on the test. Thanks, man. <laughs> and also, after they see this transmission that was sent, sent to Moff Gideon, Mando realizes that this could potentially be a trap, and no matter what, even if it's not, I have to get to the child as soon as possible. So he takes off by himself in a really badass way with his jetpack, and he just flies off like Superman to go save the child. And then we have really the first major action scene without Mando involved at all, really, Good where point. we just have... Um, uh, Mithral, Kara, and Grief, and they have to escape all these stormtroopers. And they do this by, well, right before the station blows off, they take this, like, little, this truck or this, like, like little tank, and they... A uh, transporter. Yeah, and they drive it off the side of the cliff, yeah. and they, they end up destroying Mithral's little speeder ship. And then they take off, but they get chased by speeders. And uh, fortunately, Grief is manage manages to hold off the speeders, but they eventually get chased by TIE fighters. 
And so the TIE Fighters... <laughs> it's a great chase scene, and uh, I liked how they showed the Stormtroopers were actually pretty capable this time around with the speeder bikes, and they gave them a lot of trouble, but uh, they managed to overpower them. But, Even though two blow up on the way down the hill. Yeah, but, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a rocky hill. <laughs> and then... Uh, <laughs> And then when the TIE Fighters do show up, it's like, oh, man, they're in trouble. But just as the TIE Fighters are about to destroy them, guess who shows up? Mando! Mando, and again, awesome pilot skills. And he he goes up in the air, and he takes out these these TIE Fighters. And we have this great... Um, like game of chicken where he's just spinning and shooting at a at a tie fire that's spinning and shooting at him and he, he ends up destroying it and he just flies right through his smoke and fire and yeah it's an epic air battle and again mando is a great pilot he's pretty badass and yeah i loved it and then he's on on uh speakerphone on his on his next tell with with uh cara and grief <laughs> <laughs> and uh they're like, are you coming down to have a beer, bruh? And he's like, no, nah, man, I gotta, I gotta take the child. We got, we got unfinished business, but I'll, I'll come see y'all soon. <laughs> and then, um, and then the New Republic visit Karga uh, to investigate what happened. And um, Captain Tava uh, talks to Cara Dune afterwards, and he mentions that something's brewing with the Empire, and he, and there's, there's nothing tangible yet, but something's happening, and they need soldiers in local areas to help them. And, and he leaves uh, Cara Dune a badge. And at first she's uh, reluctant to help, but then uh, she decides that uh, after they talk about the destruction of Alderaan, her her planet, uh, she decides that she will uh, help join help she will join the New Republic and help uh, stop whatever evil forces begin brewing uh, in the areas. And so it's a, an important moment for Cara Dune. And this is also a moment where we really this is the first backstory we actually really have of Cara Dune, and she's obviously a tough fighter and a badass and a strong person. And also morally good and and righteous, but she, we learn that she's from Alderaan. And if you obviously you know Star Wars, that her entire planet was blown up, and this is really an emotional scene uh, for her. But unlike in the movie, when when it happens while Leia's watching, she doesn't. Really, she like goes, "Oh no!" And then she smiles like two minutes later. <laughs> but um, it's really sad that an entire planet got blown up, and now we have a little more emotion and and connective in connection with Kara and her character. Mando's ship is finished being repaired, but we see that one of the mechanics uh, working for Grief Karga uh, tells uh, an Imperial officer that a tracking beacon has been placed on the Razor Crest, and this Imperial officer then tells Moff Gideon about this tracker, and Moff Gideon declares that they will be ready for uh, the Mandalorian. I just want to take a, a second to... Really acknowledge Ludwig Göransson and the theme for Moff Gideon is oh, great. so good. It's, it's like good. it's it's just as good as like Vader's theme. It's so badass. It's he, awesome. He does such a good job on the show with all the music because again, each episode has like ten tracks of music, all original music, and mm-hmm. Ludwig is a beast in this show. Next up, we have Chapter Thirteen: The Jedi. We finally get to see some Jedi action. And man, does it not disappoint at all. And this was directed by Dave Filoni, who did an episode in season one. But this episode, he really flexed his muscles and seemed to have figured out like kind of how to how to turn his his animated directing skills into practical directing because this is one of the most visually stunning of the series. The cinematography in this episode is beautiful. Um, you can really see his love of Japanese cinema and stories in this episode. And we have this epic opening scene of Ahsoka, this Jedi with two sabers, taking out several guards with ease on the outskirts of the town Caladon on the planet Corvus. And after after I watched this opening scene, I just thought to myself, 
Why was the Jedi combat of the TV show in just 10 minutes, in five minutes of this episode, better than any of the Jedi combat <laughs> in the Force Awakens trilogy? And I know, I know, those Jedis, they weren't trained in the art of Jedi or, or lightsaber battle, really. Even though, even though, I mean, Ray kind of was by Luke. They could have just fast, they could have skipped a year. But I mean, that's why, why couldn't we have Luke training Ray to just mess dudes up with lightsabers. Like, that would have been such a better story arc. And it would have been... That's all we wanted, Disney. We just wanted to see epic lightsaber battles. I think that's what they understood after hearing so much blowback about the new films because, uh, like you said, like, that's all we want to see. When I walk into... A, when I pay $16 to go see a Star Wars movie in theaters... 18 at Arclight. Yeah, Arclight. Come on, let's but it's go. a big screen. I want to see lightsaber battles. That's my number one. That's my number one thing when you see, when I go see a Star Wars movie, and that it was just lacking in the new movies. And so I think that they understood that, and they're like, "All right, you want lightsaber fights? We're gonna throw you some lightsaber fights." And I love the introduction of Ahsoka because um, she's very mysterious. She's a hooded figure, and um, you kind of don't know if she's good or bad. Or me, I don't know. Uh, I never watched the show, so I don't have any familiarity with her. I do know she was a Je she's a Jedi, but she they do present her in like an ambiguous way at first. But then we learn that um, she's trying to free the people of this town from an evil magistrate who is dominating their lives and 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 holding people hostage for for very uh, and she's just uh, become a, a ruthless ruler. And so um, after destroying several of their guards, she speaks with uh, Morgan, the magistrate, and she gives her one day to to leave the town and surrender or else she's going to kill them all and it's a great introduction to a character nothing explained about her no exposition it's all action and all plot and so uh, it's a great uh way to sh to start this episode and rosario dawson absolutely kills this role she's perfect as ahsoka yeah um she, her, the, her makeup looks phenomenal the the wardrobe is so good the double white lightsabers it, it's such a great character such a great aesthetic and look and then Mando arrives with the child, and he's looking for the Jedi, and he heads into town. Obviously, he doesn't know what this town's really like, but as he's walking through the town, we really get an understanding of the cruelness of the rule here and the torturous punishments and suffering of these citizens by Morgan, which which Ahsoka hinted at when she says, the people already suffer under your rule. And we see like these these guys and prisoners up on these these circular poles and like they can't move because they'll get shocked by these lasers that surround them and it's it's really horrible treatment and obviously mando he's been around so he has to you know kind of play it cool and morgan ends up hiring mando to kill the jedi that is plaguing her rule and mando plays coy and uses this info to find the jedi for his own needs and also she's offering up for payment uh, a staff made out of Beskar, pure Beskar steel. So it's a Beskar staff, which is obviously extremely valuable. And it would be an amazing weapon to have in your arsenal because um, a Beskar steel can, can stop a lightsaber. Uh, and so it's very alluring in terms of money. But obviously Mando, he has a mission and his goal is to bring the child to a Jedi. And so he, like you said, plays coy, pretends to to agree to the the job of killing the Jedi. And he leaves the town and, and travels through the for forest. And then um, while traveling through the forest, we get an insane quick little fight between him and Ahsoka. It's an unbelievable moment because uh, we see Mando, we haven't seen him go up against the lightsaber before. And then we can, like, like I said earlier, so showing the, how strong the best car armor is. It's able to stop the lightsaber and it's tracks every time. And it's a great little battle where they both use their strengths in the, in the battle. But that eventually I think Ahsoka 
kind of gets the upper hand, but um, the the fight stops when uh, the child is revealed, and um, he mentions Bo-Katan's name. And Ahsoka, she's fierce, and she kind of has to carry the weight of the Jedi on her shoulders in this culture, in this lost culture, and she does it really admirably, and she then gets to communicate with Grogu, with the child who we learn's name is Grogu, and we learn that Grogu was a Jedi Padawan. He was trained by many Jedi Masters uh, before he disappeared during the Imperial Purge of the Jedi Temple. Um, he was taken from the Temple after the Clone Wars, and so we learn that Grogu has a dark past, and he has a lot of memories that he's he suppresses and that he's been hiding his powers to survive over the years because, again, he's 50 years old. And Mando wants... He, his goal is to obviously leave him with the Jedi, and he's asking Ahsoka to train him and, and take him, but Ahsoka needs to see what his skill set's at and where he is mentally with his training, and so Ahsoka uses Mando to coax Grogu into using his powers, and uh, Mando uses that little ball from the, the <laughs> lever inside the ship to, to get him to use his powers, and... It also, Mando seems to be like a little reluctant to willing and willing to give the child to Ahsoka... But the, she eventually says that she can't train him because he's a little too old. He's too dependent on Mando at this point, and he has too much pain buried inside of him. Which well, it's not so much that it's <clears throat> it's that it's his attachment to Mando, which is the danger because um, the, his attachment to Mando can 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 create fear and anger inside of him. And she hints at I know someone who where the same thing happened to, and it was obviously Anakin because of his attachment and love for for Padme. This is why Jedi's aren't supposed to love other people because it can lead to the joining the dark side of the Force. And so, her, Mando is the child's weakness, and that's why she doesn't think she can train him because she's afraid of similar consequences happening that happened with Anakin due right, to Anakin's yeah. love for Padme. Yeah. Okay. So maybe it's more accurate to say that Jedi's can become. Um, monstrously dangerous if they're corrupted by emotions yeah, a lot. Exactly. Anakin Skywalker. That's exactly right, yeah. If she does agree to train Go Grogu, he will help her take down Elspeth. And they strike a deal, and then the next night they, they storm the city, and uh, it's a great, great storming of the city. She takes down those guys on the wall uh, like nothing. It's, it's great seeing a Jedi in action, and Rosario just crushes this role. She uh, looks like she got in great shape for this, too. She yeah. is... She handles the sabers Tearing really well. Apart, yeah. yeah, and using two sabers, I'm sure, is extremely difficult. That's pretty intense, and, and I love how they use the white saber effect to light her character mm -hmm. instead of just natural lighting or lights on the set. Yeah, exactly. And then, um, as she uh, takes down a lot of soldiers in the city, Mando begins helping out as well. And then, when everyone's gone, when everyone's been killed, uh, uh, Ahsoka jumps over the wall, inner wall, and she uh, uh, and she confronts Elsbeth while. Mando is confronted with um, that guard, Lang, I think. Yeah, Lang. And who's actually Michael Bean from Aliens in Terminator. Oh, no way. Yeah. Oh, you're, I thought he looked familiar. Yeah. And we have an awesome fight scene between Morgan and Ahsoka. Ahsoka using her sabers, but then Morgan using the Beskar uh, spear. And um, it's a great fight because we finally get to see the the strength of the Beskar spear and how it's it's just stops like you said the lightsabers in his tracks and she's actually a very skilled fighter as well which i wasn't expecting um and it's a great fight but obviously we have the cool uh back and forth between mando and that guy where the guy hears the fight and he's like oh it looks like you won mm -hmm. mando is a, gr a great fighter in a different way like he's a gunslinger 
that's what he does best. And this is a great little Western gunslinger moment where um, Lang tries to get a quick draw on him, but obviously Mando being the best, the fastest gun this side of the galaxy, <laughs> he takes down Lang no problem. And um, after they're successful, uh, Mando goes back to the ship to get the child while the city has been freed from the reign of this um, horrible magistrate. He meets with Ahsoka again, and she tells him that uh, Mando has really become like a father to Grogu and that um, if he wants Grogu to be trained properly by a Jedi, she can't do it, but she informs him that there is a ruined temple on Tython. It's a Jedi temple, and Grogu, if he's taken there, might be able to call out to another Jedi through the Force. And uh, if a Jedi feels him or hears him, it, uh, that Jedi may come to help him. And Ahsoka also gives Mando the spear, telling him that it belongs to the Mandalorians. And Mando takes it with the child, and they head off for Tython. And right when he got that staff, I was like, I cannot wait until he uses it. You know when he's going to use it, you yeah. can guess. And the next episode is Chapter 14, The Tragedy, which was directed by the great Robert Rodriguez. I was It was great to see him... Uh, step into this world he's a fantastic director who's made some really great films and uh, i love him and i'm glad he was uh, involved in this project and he's actually going to take the reins of the boba fett series he's going to be the showrunner and direct most of those episodes so i can't wait for that following ahsoka's orders mando brings grogu to tython the ancient home of the jedi and he takes the child to the seeing stone there and he'll be able to reach out to another one of his kind. This episode is a giant, epic, bounty hunter battle mm. for 30 minutes. And upon placing him on the stone, a familiar ship to, you know, Star Wars fans and lore um, arrives near them. And, and Mando obviously wants to take the kid to escape, but Grogu activated the seeing stone, which creates this giant force field barrier that's like a, a force antenna in a way causing Mando to then just go off to try and buy him some time. And then this is when uh, Mando battles Boba Fett and Fennec Shand, who, um, whose life he saved on Tatooine, we learn. And um, Fennec has her sights set on the child, and so in order to protect him, Mando uh, stops fighting. And then Boba Fett demands that Mando return his armor to him. Um, and Mando does agree to the trade in, in exchange for them helping protect Grogu. And while this is happening, two Imperial Troop characters arrive, land nearby, and a ton of stormtroopers uh, run out of these things ready to fight. And so obviously Moff Gideon um, was well informed and, and knew that this was going to happen, so he sent these troops down there to get them. And Boba Fett absolutely destroys stormtroopers in this episode. Like, he absolutely messes dudes up, and he's using that big uh, staff he's got that looks like it weighs like 300 pounds and... It's great to see. It's so It's cool actually the same staff that um, the Tusken Raiders have. Gotcha. And you just see the power he wields with it, and he's just smashing their armor into bits and pieces, and it's shattering. And it's it's really cool to start him off with just like a cloak and a melee weapon, only to reveal, obviously, he's going to go for the uh, armor that he's been longing for for so many years that's inside the ship. And also, Fennec Shand is back, and she's putting up a really great fight against all these stormtroopers. Um, but at some point, there's just going to be too many of them. And then also what happens is uh, Gideon sends out four dark troopers, these new dark trooper droids, who they're pretty much like Iron Man, but droids. And I think Favreau was like, let's get some Iron Mans in this. <laughs> <laughs> and um, these things are dangerous and deadly and lethal and extremely strong, and they, they fly around like Iron Man. And 
Mando has to try and race them to the child to save him, but they get there before he does, and they take the child, unfortunately, and fly away. And although uh, Boba Fett can can intercept them, he, they don't want to risk hurting the child, so they just let the, the droids leave with the child in their arms. But right before that, Boba Fett arrives in his full armor to kind of take over the battle, mm-hmm. and he wreaks even more havoc on the stormtroopers with his armor and all the, the weaponry it has, and they all start to try to escape in their two ships, but he ends up blasting both ships out of the sky with one missile from his pack, and so he lights these dudes up. Yeah, it's a great action scene. But it, it ends in a great way because although there's the tragedy of the child being stolen, but we have these characters who, you know, they're all flawed individuals. And earlier, Fennec was hunting Mando and trying to, after uh, Mando was hunting Fennec, who was trying to kill Mando in the first season. But now they're they're on the same side where they're principled characters. And uh, Fennec owes a debt to Boba Fett, which is why she's working with him in form. And now Boba Fett owes Mando a debt. And although uh, Mando says that the job's done and the child's gone so they can just leave and it's up to him to just continue his mission, Boba Fett and Fennec demand to stay on the mission to try to get the child because it was part of the bargain for the armor to ensure the safety of the child. So it's pretty cool to see this new team up of people. Yeah, it's, it's an excellent moment. And then the episode ends in a, in a sad way where uh, we're in Moff Gideon's ship and then he enters the cell where Grogu's being held captive and he's he's fighting two stormtroopers with his force powers and he's like throwing them around the room and, and stunning them. And and then um, he allows uh, Grogu to, to kill the stormtroopers or, or knock them out, whatever he does. And then this causes Grogu to become extremely tired like it has in the past. And, and while he's too weak to do anything, Gideon uh, steps up right next to him and, and, and taunts him kind of and, and shows him the dark saber. It's a really sad scene because Grogu is helpless, and then he gets handcuffed by these handcuffs. I'm think I'm guessing might deter him from using his powers. I think, and then um, Gideon informs Doctor Pershing that they have the blood donor back. So obviously, if things don't work out, horrible things are going to happen to the child. And then Chapter 15, the Believer, Mando, and this new crew of homies. <laughs> <laughs> the enlist, squad. The squad. squad up. They enlist the help of sharpshooter Mayfield, who was in episode six of season one, who was a former Imperial soldier. They need him to infiltrate an Imperial base to access the coordinates of Moff Gideon's ship so they can find the child and they can find Grogu. And Bill Burr is back and in this role. And I remember and I, we talked about how I'm not a huge fan of chapter six in season one, even though I love Bill Burr. That episode did not do it for me, but his role is so much better than it was in Chapter 6 here. And almost all of his lines land with a chuckle. His character is a lot more interesting than the last time we saw him. He's more empathetic. He shows real growth as a character throughout the adventure. Yeah, I like what they improved so much more on this character because in the in Episode 6, he's very uh, one-dimensional. He's kind of an asshole the whole time. And Very unlikable. Yeah, he is funny at times, but he's just not likable at all, and he doesn't seem to have any good qualities at all, whereas this one, like you said, very empathetic, and you really feel for him, and uh, they gave him a lot more, uh, a, a bigger backstory and a lot more dialogue to flesh out his personality, and Bill Burr, I think, is great in this role. He was he was good in the first season, but I think he really stepped up his acting game, and I was really surprised by how good he was in this role, and I, I think he's going to obviously act a lot more because he, he did a fantastic job. And this is a, a fantastic episode. It's one of my favorite episodes. It's got a great story, a great action set piece, and it's very vital to the, the plot of the film. And um, 
it also shows Mando breaking a couple of his rules. So this this episode um, is important because it it brings into question um, Mando's code and um, it makes him question what he's doing as well. Yeah, because he's forced to do something that goes against his creed and his uh, specific Mandalorian culture, and he has to remove his helmet and wear a stormtrooper helmet and uniform in order to take part in this mission. And he also has a very long scene in this episode with no helmet at all. Yeah. And um, in order to infiltrate this base, they have to hijack a transport truck that's carrying these this highly explosive material and drive it into an Imperial Idonium. facility. Yeah, and in order to do that, they have to basically dress up as star- stormtroopers. And, and my guess is that the, the Empire is gathering this material in order to arm themselves with their artillery. So they're, I think the Empire is gaining in strength, and this is an example of showing that they're gaining, they're building upon their weaponry. Yeah, and we also have Fennec and Cara Dune are part of this team too, and their their role is as snipers uh, protecting uh, Mando and Mayfield on their mission as the plan is they'll they'll infiltrate the base once they drive to it alive, and then once they make it to the roof after getting the coordinates, Boba Fett will come down and rescue them. Yeah, and then while while they're driving this truck that they've stolen um, with Rhydonium in the back, uh, it's a great little moment where we talked about earlier where uh, Mayfield uh, talks to Mando about the the idea of the helmet and hiding his his face and how he's so. Being wearing the Mandalorian helmet is so important, but look at him now—he's wearing a stormtrooper helmet. Like, what's what what like what's the rule now? What how far like where where's the line? When do you cross it? Because first you you have to wear a helmet. Now you now you can't show your face. So what exactly is the rule? Because now you're wearing a stormtrooper helmet. You're kind of like changing your your morality as a Mandalorian, and it's it's an it's an important question that uh, Mando doesn't isn't really sure how to respond to. It, because it's making him think inwardly on himself in retrospect, and in retrospect, and it's a, it's a it's a really powerful little dramatic moment. I think. I think it's also shows the the character of Mando that he's willing to do something like this in order to save the child. He'll yeah. do anything for Grogu, and he really has this special bond with the with the with the kid. But like you said, with Episode um, thirteen, I think with uh, Bo-Katan and her crew taking off their helmets. I think Mando is beginning, like you said, to maybe think that it's okay to take his helmet off. He doesn't have to adhere to these ancient rules anymore. Because, again, he's a foundling, so he doesn't know the entirety of the Mandalorian culture. And then this is a great action set piece because uh, as they're driving they, they up ahead, two other transports are uh, blow up because they're being attacked by, by pirates, pirates who are raiding the ships and then ex- and causing them to explode with, with little bombs and detonators and um, obviously, they're afraid this is going to happen to them, and then the pirates do show up behind their their uh, their caravan, and it's a great scene. Mando gets out and climbs on top of the roof of the truck, and he begins to fight a bunch of pirates. And uh, he's not Mandalorian armored at this moment; like gunfire is really affecting him. Uh, he's getting hurt in the scene, and he's uh, he his his uh, normal powers and abilities have kind of been stripped down because of the suit he's wearing now. But he does take down two of these. Uh, flying vehicles full of uh, pirates but eventually there's gonna be there's like six of them in the distance and there's gonna be too many of him to for him to stop and he's exhausted and he doesn't have his best car armor and they all have grenades that they're it looks like they're all charging up but then <laughs> ironically they're saved by um, tie fighters yeah. they're saved by imperial imperial soldiers and then these two May- mando and mayfield are like 
they drive into the base and they're like hailed as heroes for the empire. And it's weird to get this like glimpse of humanity in a way of this other side of yeah. the enemy armies of the empire and it's really kind of just so similar except just a bunch of evil dudes yeah but like they're celebrating this this victory and he, they're part of it it's yeah. so weird it's a great moment and you've never seen it before in star wars and um when they get inside the base uh there's a mess hall and the, the terminal they want they need to use is in this mess hall but Mayfield originally was going to use this terminal to find Gideon's location to hack into the mainframe. But uh, he can't because there's an, a superior officer named Valen Hess inside the mess hall who he thinks will recognize him because he used to uh, 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 be under. He used to command Mayfield in the past. And used so, to be under him? Yeah, I was trying to say that. <laughs> and so Mando instead goes to the terminal. And when he accesses it, he discovers that it needs a facial scan in order to work in this forces him to remove his helmet, and then we see uh, Mando reveal his face, and we see Din Djarin's face, and um, it's a, a great moment because it shows that Mando will do whatever it takes and break whatever rule and code he has in order to save the child, and he acquires the codes, and it's successful, but then he's confronted by Hess, and Mayfield intervenes, and then there's a really great little conversation at the table. It kind of reminded me of, like, Inglorious Bastards' dinner table, mm-hmm. and... um. Uh, Mayfield shows his uh, that he has a, a moral a moral compass within him because after um, displaying a horrible um, uh, reaction towards the people who died in the wars in the past, uh, Mayfield kills Hess out of just revenge. To he says to get something off his chest just to kill him because he deserves to die. And then they escape the the base with the help of of um, um, the, the two snipers and. Um, they they jump into the ship and they they escape. Uh, but before they escape, uh, Mayfield manages to snipe a uh, an explosive material on the base and causes the entire thing to blow up in flames. And he says to Mando, "We all need to sleep at night." I think this is telling for the character of Mayfield that he's trying to make up for the sins of his past of being an imperial soldier and troop, and he didn't have to blow up this base, but he did, and he blew up the trucks full of the radium. Is that what it's called? Yeah. And right, well, uh, Rydanium. Of Rydanium. And again, he didn't have to snipe this and blow it up. It, just, it wasn't part of the mission, but he did it anyways for himself to maybe not feel good about himself, but to try to right some of the wrongs of his past. And this uh, and this leads to Cara Dune letting him go and pretending like he died in the explosion because she saw that and she says, nice shot. And yeah. obviously she thinks the same thing. You didn't have to do that, but I really yeah. appreciate that you did. 100%. I think it's got the best ending of all the episodes except for the finale where Mando uses the coordinates to send Moff Gideon the most badass message ever. And he kind of uses his own words against him where he says, you have no idea how much he means to me when he's talking about the child and that he's coming to get him. That's a great scene. You're right. I love that. So epic. And you can actually see a little bit of fear in Moff Gideon's eyes almost. Oh, yeah. 100%. And this leads us to Chapter 16, The Rescue, the epic conclusion to this excellent season of The Mandalorian. Um, I was enthralled by this. It was uh, everything you want to see in this show, and it's. I think it's my favorite episode so far. Yeah, I mean, after I watched this, I was like, I want to watch this entire season again. And in episode 16, Mando enlists the help of Bo-Katan to assist his team in saving the child on Moff Gideon's ship. In return, she gets the weapon that once belonged to her and which Gideon possesses, the dark saber. But she also hints that she must be the one that disarms and defeats Gideon. She's not super specific, but she says she wants him to uh, give, yield. yield to him. So that's the first yield hint to her. Of it. Yeah, yield, yield to her. 
And uh, and so the, the episode starts where Mando and Cara Dune capture Doctor Pershing from an, an Imperial shuttle, and um, he he uh, tells them about the the forces on on um, Moff Gideon's ship and about the the dark droids, um, and the where dark, and where Grogu is hiding, and where Grogu is, and um, and so Man Mando Boba Fett. They visit Bo-Katan and they enlist her help inside of that cantina. And there's a little quarrel, but um, they agree to all help each other in exchange. Like you said earlier, Bo-Katan's going to get the dark saber from Gideon. They cleverly then use the ship, the Imperial ship, as a decoy, pretending yeah. to be Imperial themselves. And they do this while being fake chased by Boba Fett, who's shooting at them. And they board Gideon's ship. It's uh, a brilliant way to enter. Yeah, despite uh, d- being denied access to board the ship. But uh, after this... And once they open the doors and the hatch and the stormtroopers are like, oh, what are you guys doing? This is crazy. <laughs> the girl squad messes up all these stormtroopers and they just start carving their path through the ship. Yeah. Meanwhile, Mando quietly sneaks aboard and their the plan is that uh, the squad of these female soldiers are going to distract everybody on the ship while Mando can go find the child. Well, he's going for the dark troopers first. Oh, yeah. The, the dark, so, yeah. So, so the crew is, is uh, attacking the people on the ship and they're going to go for the bridge. Meanwhile, Mando is searching for the dark troopers, the dark trooper droids, so that he can get them off the ship to to stop to prevent them from uh, uh, fighting them because I don't think there's any way they can overpower them. And then he eventually finds them, and he has to fight one of these dark troopers because they make it through the doors before he can close them in time. And he's one on one with one of these things, and it's an epic battle because these dark troopers are incredibly strong. They don't respond to blaster fire. The only thing that eventually kills it is uh the spear which when you, when he gets off the ship you see the spear on his back and yeah. you just know in your head he's going to fight Gideon with that spear there's oh, no yeah. way he's not going to do it but um there's a crazy there's a crazy part in this battle where the dark the dark troopers just punching him in the face over, over and, and over, over again and, over. and obviously the best best guard armor's holding up but his head's being caved into the wall and it's yeah. crazy yeah and then like you said he manages to overpower the dark trooper and and jams his his spear right through its neck and disables it and he manages to send the other dark trooper droids out into space by opening the airlock. And while this is happening, um, the the crew has taken over the bridge. But uh, and so they were successful, and they're part of the mission, which leads Mando to Grogu's cell, where he finds Gideon waiting for him. And he's holding the child hostage, and at the mercy of the dark saber. And Moff then begins to explain that the dark saber—that's what Bo-Katan wants—and he explains that the rightful owner of the dark saber gets claimed to the Mandalorian throne, and now he he obviously realizes and he understands that Bo-Katan's probably panicking on the deck because Moff Gideon's not there, and he tricks Mando into thinking that he'll let him take the child and go because all he wanted was his blood. But he uh, begins a, a, a great battle, and this is a I wish this fight was longer because yeah. it's so cool but it's a it's one of the best one-on-one fights in the entire show maybe the best one with yeah. uh, Mando using the spear the Beskar spear versus the dark saber of Moff Gideon it's an excellent fight and you can see uh, Moff is very capable as a fighter and the dark saber is dangerous it's just like a lightsaber it can burn through anything except for the Beskar steel and it, it it is a difficult fight for Mando but uh, he eventually does overpower Moff Gideon and he actually spares him, and this actually makes Moff uh, laugh. He thinks it's amusing that he's sparing his life. 
He's like, yo, I spare my life. We'll see how this goes. Yeah. And then they make it. Which to I the, think is a big mistake by Mando. Yeah, but M- Mando, we learn, is a person of compassion yeah. despite being a Mandalorian yeah. and a great soldier. He does spare people and it's gotten him into, gotten him out of trouble and also gets him into trouble too. Yeah, exactly. And back at the control deck, they enter with, and Mando has the dark saber drawn and immediately, immediately Bo-Katan's eyes are fixed on it and she's more upset with Mando having the dark saber than she is that uh, they didn't capture Moff Gideon because Gideon knows the situation and he he's amused by everything and he tries to to turn um, Bo-Katan against Din and he's 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 using his knowledge of this Mandalorian tradition and he's the dark saber on. to initiate a fight and explaining that in order for her to truly gain the throne she has to have the dark saber and and Din doesn't care about the saber he just cares about the child. Gideon explains that you have to win this in battle. It's kind of like um, the Elder Wand yeah. in Harry Potter. Yeah, exactly. And then um, before they can talk further about this, the Dark Troopers return, flying into the the ship Iron Man style. And there's a bunch of them. There's like twenty of them, and they're heading for the deck. So, uh, and there's no way these they can overpower these these Dark Troopers. Like they're done. They're done for. And they they reach the door and they start pounding on the door, and they're just. Pound after punch after punch, they're just breaking through the door, and eventually they're gonna make it through and, and kill everyone on the bridge. But then, out of nowhere, an X-wing flies up into the ship and lands inside. And then something seems odd because the child is seems to be drawn to the security cam footage of this hooded figure who exits the X-wing and begins moving through the ship. We get some very familiar music, and then all, all of a sudden, this hooded figure pulls out a green lightsaber and begins murking all these dark troopers scattered throughout the ship like it's nothing it's an amazing action sequence of lightsaber fighting and it's it's it seems as though this jedi must be super powerful and then you get a hint of a of black glove in one of the shots and you're like oh wait i think i know who this is and we see what you know we never really got this really of of luke using all of his jedi powers and just messing people up in like a amazing uh, special effects way and he just tears them apart and he uses his different powers in terms of of moving objects and he crushes one of the droids with just the force and expert lightsaber fighting and he reaches the front deck and they open the doors and he reveals himself and we see this you know very decent cgi version of luke skywalker and they actually it, it's not in the credits as mark hamill but mark hamill was this and he was this actor and he filmed the scene of the dialogue where they superimposed uh, a younger version of him basically de-aged him like they did with the irishman mm-hmm. although in the fighting scenes it's a stand-in but mark hamill was on set and did the dialogue yeah it's a great moment and i just was like blown away by it i was like oh my god this is amazing how it was kept secret i don't know how they did it, it yeah. like everyone on this set just must have like signed an nda or something but man oh, yeah. they really they hid this for a year Grogu hesitates to leave with Luke because he doesn't want to leave Mando, and it takes a moment, but Mando has to give him his permission to go with this Jedi to complete his training, and then it's a very emotional farewell to Grogu where uh, he's holding Grogu in his arms, and then Grogu reaches out for him to take his helmet off, and then Mando finally takes his helmet off, and they get to see each other face-to-face for the first time, and then um, he touches uh, Mando's face, and it's just a really beautiful moment, and it's you can see, like, the relationship they've bonded, they've created through this bonding time they've had together. And uh, he, uh, and then Grogu just departs with Luke and R2-D2, who's great to see. And it's a great moment, and uh, it seems to be a conclusion to this point so far for Grogu in the story. I'm sure we'll see him again, but it's an emotional scene, to say the, to say the least. 
And uh, we also get a post-credit scene on Tatooine at Jabba's palace where Fennec kills a bunch of the guards and then Boba Fett shows up and kills Bib Fortuna and finally takes the throne of Jabba's palace. And uh, that's the setup in the opening epilogue of the Book of Boba Fett, which we'll get in December 2021. And this was a fantastic finale to the season. It was heart-wrenching, it was thrilling, and, and it was exciting and full of action and great special effects. And it was honestly a so much better than the new movies and i hope to see more of it soon i'm so happy our fans and everyone commenting got us to watch this show because yes we were stubborn about it at first but man i am so glad we started this show and season two is epic man it's some of the best tv i've seen in years i don't watch a lot of tv because there's so many goddamn shows to watch but this one's totally worth the watch and i really adore it Thank you so much for tuning in to Raiders of the Lost Podcast. Be sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us, hit the notification bell, leave us some five-star reviews. Subscribe to our YouTube channel for the full video versions as well as daily movie and TV show reviews. Become a patron at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost Podcast to support us monthly. And we really appreciate you wherever you're listening or watching from around the world. May the force be with you.